0: Hello sword people, welcome to the Sword Guy podcast. This is your host Dr Guy Windsor, consulting swordsman, teacher and writer. Join me for interviews with historical fencing instructors and experts from a wide range of related disciplines as we discuss swords, history, training and bringing the joy of historical martial arts into our modern lives. I'm here today with Callum Forbes who is a Jouster Hapkido instructor in New Zealand. I've met Callum for the first time the first time I went to New Zealand to the uh, sword play symposium there and we got on extremely well and he is very clearly a very very experienced martial artist but you actually have to drag it out of him because he'll just quietly get on with stuff in class (laughs) which is and then you find out who's there in your class you're like oh god I hope I didn't screw it up so without further ado Callum welcome to the show
1: uh, great that me thanks guy and it's a real privilege to be um, in your show um this is actually my first podcast i have ever done so it's a wow
0: yeah. oh, so they get the scoop here excellent okay yeah. um now whereabouts exactly are you
1: um i'm I'm in um, upper hutt New Zealand and um New Zealand's on two islands north island south island um the capital city is at the bottom of the north island upper Hutt is a um satellite city, about you know thirty forty k's north of uh, Wellington, so we're uh, you know we're just outside the capital city. Uh, we're actually about fifteen k's north of Upper Hutt, um, up in the Forest Park, um, right 50 acres. So a really ideal lifestyle here, and um, yeah, so I have a nice mix of my life between town and country.
0: Excellent. Uh, so, and of course, you actually live in Middle Earth, not too far from Hobbiton.
1: Yes, um, we do. We uh, are just down the road is uh, Rivendale. It's about you know probably about a ten minute walk down the road, and then we would do our jousting at Harcourt Park. That was where they did a lot of uh, also a lot of scenes um, on the uh, especially on the first movie. So we actually wow. joust over Hallowed Ground. That's where um, Ian McLennan and uh, Peter Jackson and all the other top people there, uh, and Christopher Lee did the um, Gandalf and Sar- um, Saruman scenes. Um, at, at, at Isengard and so it's a very sort of a very close sort of um, you know relationship with us and um, some nearby occasions that you're very prominent in the films Wow
0: that must be fabulous Yeah uh, Yeah <laughs> Okay um, Now we're definitely going to get into the jazz in a little bit but yep. it says in your bio you've been training since 1982 which is pretty long time
1: yep. uh, in um,
0: hakido. Yep and um, you're now seventh dan. Congratulations. Yes. And when did you sort of get into the historical stuff and how did
1: that come about? Well, um, before I started Keto, I was involved in sports fencing and I got involved in sports fencing uh, probably in 1979, probably my first year at university, and I got involved in uh, sports fencing. Mm -hmm. And um, I was very fortunate that I was trained by uh, a lady called um, Enid Edith Milne, and she was the first woman from outside of France to train in France to be awarded a uh, French play um, uh, Master of Arms or Maestro title. And So Edith was a very comfortable classical fencer, and she taught us classical fencing. And through um, and Edith, uh, for the classical fencing, um, I was very successful competitively. But I sort of um, realised that the rule set of modern fencing um, didn't really ring true. And at the same time, yeah. I was a big Dungeons & Dragons nerd and that sort of thing. I was writing to Dungeons and & Dragons and all that sort of stuff. And I guess you're amongst fencing, friends here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I was well, amongst friends. I was probably the first person to actually buy a set of Dungeons & Dragons in New Zealand, but that's another story. Um, and so through Dungeons and & Dragons and, and through uh, classical fencing and uh, the uh, Victoria University Swords Club, I sort of drifted into saying, well, what would it be like to fight with real armour and fight with the real sword and, you know, and just with the you know, proper, proper medieval-style sword? got a bunch of mates together and we basically just um, had no knowledge about history because there's, nothing, there's no resources on the internet back then. It was all just basically Prince Valiant Comics and that was our, that was our main resource. Um, and yeah. and a few, so in the old 19th century, uh, Victorian scholars has some books out and between those resources we started putting together, um, you know, made male armour and leather armour and made these ridiculously heavy swords and that sort of thing. We just started mucking around in the backyard and uh, just, you know, just doing, um, you know, um, just trying to adapt what we learned in modern fencing to HEMA, which was, uh, you know, alter, you know these these, these uh, weapons at the time. So it was a bit of a mishmash. And then um, somebody saw us and said, oh, can you guys come and do a public show for us at some some sort of country fair? And then we just got involved in, um, you know, just putting on these really bad uh, reenactments uh, back in the early 80s um, to various fairs and community events. And uh, nobody knew any better, so they thought we were fantastic. And we were swinging around, you know, 10 pounds. <laughs> Single hand swords, uh, great up uh, like buckets, um, uh, mail put together with mild steel, buttered wire, which fell apart in the first battle and, and probably just slashing each other. And there's no, it was nothing at all. It was just, you know, it was, and then gradually um, over time we got to, uh, access to better knowledge and uh, that sort of thing. And um, and then in 1997 I went to Australia to one of the, um, the medieval, medieval events in Australia. And um, there's a guy called Stephen Hand who's very famous around here as one of the leading hemo practitioners. And Stephen was really into George Silver, who I also have a great deal of time for. Um, it's probably going to give me a few hates, but that's the way it is. Um, and and um, so Stephen taught me or showed me true time. And I sort of knew true time implicitly through what Enid has me and all the stuff that I did in classical fencing started to make a bit of sense. And I was able to adapt my earlier sword fighting to what uh, Stephen was showing me so there from there, we started you know, started to do proper studying the manuscripts, and they were starting to appear then too. I got into Fiore because um, my period of interest is 14th century, late 14th century, so he was the, um, the one I was interested in. And then another friend of mine, Colin McKinstry, who's the Hebrew man in New Zealand, uh, started you know, interpreting stuff, and we just gradually built from there. At the same time, we got into jousting and horseback and had to make better armor and that sort of thing, so things gradually got better. We all started back, you know, back in the backyard, you know, with a few beers and a bit of Dungeons and Dragons and a bit of uh, classical fencing. That's, that's how we got started.
0: Wow. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, okay, yeah. Stephen Hand and I go way back, not quite back to 1997, but to about, yeah. I think I met him in 2003 and we've been friends ever since. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he came to Finland to teach a couple of seminars for me, including yeah. silver. So you are in pretty good hands there.
1: Um well, I know Stephen since nineteen eighty five. I went to Australia and met him at a Red really Hatman event and then we lost touch for about twelve years and ran two uh, other okay. in ninety seven. I actually had Stephen out in New Zealand as well. Um, you know, he's um, come up and done stuff for, him, for our guys and he's he's a he's a really good, you know, yeah, great mind. Very, very very bright mind, very bright man, very clever man, and he knows his stuff.
0: Yeah. Um and it's interesting that you, you came to it through classical fencing. I had the exact same disillusionment with the rule set. The fencing itself is great, but the rule set yeah. just doesn't satisfy anyone with a kind of really swordy soul, I don't think.
1: No. And that's um, why I got out of fencing, and you know, I got out of it because the rule set, and then when they brought in the Olympic style with the whippy swords it would, uh, oh, to yeah. to that would be a parry, that was the end of it for me.
0: Yeah, me too. And um, the, the idea that someone could just curl their, their sword around and tap you on the shoulder and ignore yeah. the fact that your sword was sticking through their guts, it's just, yeah, it drove, drove me nuts. Well, it drove me yeah. into the arms of Alfred Hutton is what it did.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, that, so, you've got the same, yeah, so we've got the same issues with uh, fencing. And the thing was too was the simultaneous yeah. hit where you land your blade fraction the head of the other person on you and you've got a point but you anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I, I'm I'm very much in favor of using um, 19th century style sharps which is it's not actually yeah. a sharp sword but it's like a quarter inch spike on it with a um, sort of yeah yeah, it's like a, like, like, yeah yeah like it's like it's sticking out of um like a flat thing so it's not going to go in very deep yeah. but it will certainly yeah. puncture the skin and fencing without shirts with yeah. those and yeah. you know if you if you miss your parry, you bleed, and that's very yeah. um, well, very conducive a,
1: to a good parry. Well, that'd, that'd be quite interesting.
0: Yeah, it's it's it, it focuses the mind. Yeah, um, it is a little risky because if the point slips, it can kind of slice you open a bit, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But again, then you really, really should have parried. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, okay. Now, I don't know about. Um, whether well, this rings true for you but in the historical martial arts world as far as i'm aware you're mostly known as a jouster yes okay um and you organize jousting tournaments and yep. that is that is something that simply boggles my mind you know you have horses and you have armor and you have people riding at each other at high speed and it must be absolutely terrifying we'll get into the actual specific feeling of what it's like to joust in a little bit yeah but let's have a look at the organization side of things i mean yeah what on earth possessed you to organize a jousting tournament and how did you pull it off
1: um as you know also was doing was doing it and um <laughs> yeah we we had gradually evolved we, we had basically um just worked out here quietly and um just, just um, got the stage where we had two or three horses that we were working with, and um, we were doing mounted skills, which is the um, just basically just um, doing some of the battle drills on inanimate targets uh, with weapons. And um, so we started adding those into our foot combat shows we were doing at other people's events. And um, basically, uh, we were basically just taking tack- ourselves on to big um, community fairs, that sort of thing. Often the odd council might... Um, have, have us up to do a small display. Uh, we had the odd equestrian event. before we were bizarre enough to, you know, and interesting enough to chuck us onto uh, into a you know, corner somewhere and run us at, um, you know, these events and that sort of stuff. So we had a lot of experience uh, being tapped onto other people's events. Uh, but the trouble with these kind of events is, especially when you've got horses, um, they're unpredictable and um, and you're sort of you're bound by somebody else's time frame and, and timeline. And we were doing a lot of uh, events at... Um, Racing, uh, racing horse meets, and we have um, a very limited window opportunity to do a show between races. And often the races are running to TV and right late. Gradually getting, you know, you to do some quite dangerous stuff um, in between races in a very limited time frame. So we just got a bit tired of that, and just, you know. Um, and I, I run my own businesses, so I've got, I'm, I'm fairly okay and um, running business and running events. Just because so I've got lucky, I've got business skills, so. I just looking around for, um, you know, a venue and just to give it a go, to, to put on a public event of our own, just a one-day thing, um, that, that we could control the time the time frame and that sort of thing. And um, and uh, back in the day, the um, upper City Council was run by a guy who had a promotions manager who was very supportive of small people doing events. So we got, got a lot of support from our council to put on a small event um, at Harcourt Park, which is, we talked a little, uh, earlier was one of the venues for, um, later for Lord of the Rings. So we just um, you know, um, got a few of our friends together, a couple, a couple of my Australian friends, Rod Walker and some other guys in Australia. We put on our first um, international tournament and it was basically just myself, uh, Rod Walker from Australia and another friend of mine, Phil Pedersen from New Zealand. We just uh, basically put on a, a small show of uh, jousting with lances. It wasn't real jousting at the time. It was just tapping with uh, solid, solid uh, lance on shield. Um, but it went down really well and... Um, so they gave us the confidence to say, let's do it properly and actually, you know, um, start our own event. And because um, we had a small number of uh, people, we had a lot of enthusiastic reenactors who were keen to do anything, uh, we were able to put together an event for $5,000, uh, which was quite cheap back then. And um, Wow, that's very we cheap. About, we brought in about 3,000 people from the public, and we, we, we didn't charge them for that because we didn't know how it's going to go. And uh, we ran our first event, and it went really well. And then we said, right, this is good, so we'll keep rolling with it. And um, so we gradually um, built up over about, you know, 10, 15 years, a really slick um, international joust. And at its heyday in 2015, uh, we were bringing in jousts from, you know, Scandinavia, Europe, USA, England, Australia, New Zealand. Um, So it just sort of grew from small beginnings. And as we built up our expertise and as more people were interested, we were able to make it bigger. So it just um, wasn't that hard. It was very time consuming, obviously, but it, it didn't seem that hard because we were just building on, you know, um, stuff we'd done before. Just every time we did an event, we added a bit more in, and uh, oh, I made yeah. So it wasn't uh, jumping into a huge event straight away. It was just starting small and you know, gradually adding to it. And a lot of the international people saw what we were doing and took our ideas out to their into their events, and um, so in that in that way we we helped to in our, in our own small way um, build the international uh, jazzing circuit as it is today was
0: wow. pre COVID. That's 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 <clears throat> extraordinary. And you know, starting small, yep. Like three three guys with horses, um, yep. how do you how do you manage the horse situation? Because you need properly trained horses for this.
1: Yeah. Do people this our, this the yeah, no, this is our this is our biggest problem and it's why we haven't done much for the last few years is that um, obviously um, it's very expensive to fight horses anywhere in the world, and none of us are you know, multi-millionaires that can afford to do that. We're not sort of a paro players that can fight the horses around the world. So basically, uh, we've we got to provide horses, horses for the international visitors, and that does limit the, uh, the scale of what we can do. So really, you rely on people having uh, extra horses, and uh, and we've always had, um, you know, we, we're lucky we've got 50 acres here, which, you know, um, we, so we, we can keep um, a team of horses um own requirement so we, we always have a couple of spare horses here we've got a friend of ours on north Vicky who's the same she's got a spare horses and a few others so between the local jousters around the country we can bring in about three or four maybe five spare horses and um, and, and we, so we always bring in a few spare jousters. so so we're limited by the um, the availability of trained horses and the number so there's only a handful of horses in New Zealand that will joust um, and um there's only a handful of people here that joust anyway, so we're, we're very limited by um, a, a number of horses we have. So we can't go to huge tournaments with, say, 12 jousters. We did that once. It, was, it worked, but it was quite tough. Um, so we, we just tend to, you know, um, limit our events to, to eight jousters, normally, you know, three four Kiwis and, you know, three, three or five Australians or other internationals. But getting the horses is the hardest thing, um, and then they get old and you retire them and yeah, for, you can't shoot them. You've got to, you know, you've got to give them a good retirement. So an yeah, <laughs> old horse retired on your property means there's one less horse you can have that's in work. And that's yeah. our situation yeah. at home at the moment. we got about three or four jousting horses. And, um, and up, up until about six months ago, we didn't have any jousting horses here at all, but we been very fortunate in the last, you know, couple of months to actually pick up a couple of new jousting horses and they're proven. So we're basically just, we're basically back in, I guess, in the frame to do events again, but it's very hard. Um, because yeah, you've got to keep you know bringing on new horses um, and, and uh, you've got to find a way to exit your old horses out. And um, for us, your horse works for us, deserves a good retirement, so it lives its life out with us. So we have to be very careful in how we manage things. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's just that sort of um, having enough horses that are in work at any one time, that's a tough thing.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that the horses are given an honourable
1: retirement and not turned mm-hmm. into sausages. That's yeah. Well, basically, sad. yeah, we don't de- we don't eat de- horses in New Zealand. It's not a it's not a thing. Um, oh, okay, you know, they, yeah. I mean, some of the old race horses, um, the race horse industry. I mean, some of, them, some of them do end up in dog food. But for us, um, you yeah, know, horse works for us. It um, does jousting for us. It works for us hard. The uh, part of our family, you know, we, we're we we sure. mad and, and part of the family. So, um <laughs> yeah. So once 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 say once say, although I don't really like retiring the horses unless they're unsound. Uh, even an old horse still wants to work. So yeah. I've got a horse that's going to be 25 this year, which is actually an old, or the rings horse, actually, and he uh, he's still working. You know, he's still doing a bit of work yeah. with new riders, that sort of thing, and he'll keep working until his body tells us that he's longer into it, and then he'll be, um, you know, retired up the hill yeah. uh, with his mates. So we try and keep them going as long as we can because, like, people, you know, um, they, they like to they like to do something.
0: Yeah, and, and horses are sort of social animals and they're part yeah. of the herd. Yes. It means... They, they they want to be doing the thing that the leader of the herd is doing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like so. so, yeah, it's, it's I, I, get, I do get the, the impression that that like serious jousting horses are really into jousting.
1: Yes, they are, uh, and I, I have also arguments that people, uh, especially the animal rights people, say, ah, oh, it's, it's unnatural to ride a horse. It's, an, it's unnatural for a horse to run another horse, and uh, for another horse to be aggressive to another horse. Yeah, it is. It's like humans is there's there's a there's a, there's a, there's a hierarchy. And, um, but the horses that they're at the top of the herd, um, they love it. They love the jousting, and um, you know, often you just can't hold them back. They, they just go. And um, other horses need <laughs> a little bit of encouragement um, because they're beta horses. But you know, but a horse won't joust. It doesn't want to, and there's no way that you can force you know, your will over an animal that's about six or seven times your body mass and much stronger. So, um, yeah. horse has to enjoy the joust in order to do it. And um, and our, all of our horses have yeah. You know, some of them some of them just love it. They just um, yeah. They, they go for their ten gears um, at yeah, a show. It's,
0: yeah. it's worth thinking that that you know in Napoleonic times, if an infantry formed a well structured square with all their bayonets sticking out, no cavalry could break through it because the horses would not run into the spikes no yeah. matter what the people riding them would say.
1: It's so, great insight so with yeah. the old medieval times with the Scottish bank burn and the people that use spear formations. Uh, horse will not go into a um, into a hedgehog of spears or a, a line of bayonets. They're not stupid. Um, yeah. You know, so they're not they're not stupid animals, um, and they do require you, you know, um, you've got to be confident with them, and you've got to have their trust. Once you've got their trust, I mean, the jousting is fairly easy for them. Um, um, so you um yeah you know, once once you've got that sorted out, they're they're pretty good.
0: Okay, so. I imagine, so the people coming from abroad are borrowing yep. horses. Um, I've ridden enough to know that horses are extremely different, and I yep. imagine that there's an advantage to riding with your own horse that knows you really well and you understand yep. each other. Yep. Um, so do, do they have like a training period where they can kind of get used to the new horse,
1: or do they just jump yep. on it and go? Um, basically what I do is I, um, I fly them in the week before a tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have a week here at our place or where we have got the event and we give them the best horses. Uh, we, we, give, we give the um, international people the easiest horses to ride and best so they, they the best horses. So um, they get the best horses. So they get my horse. My horse is really good. Um, I've actually never jousted my horse in an international tournament. I've always given them an <laughs> international jouster. Um, um, and all the all the good horses that are the least problematic and the most you know, experienced tend to go. We give them to internationals just because you understand that even for a good rider, it takes them a few days to click with the horse and know a few days to get used to it. So they have a, they basically have about a week or five days before the event they get to ride a couple of hours a day. And that's all they need, especially a good horseman or mm. horsewoman. They can pick it up You know, in about two or three sessions, but they always get the best horses and the easiest horses to ride because we we're aware of that. Um, unlike some of these I've been to I've been given a horse that's never jousted and told to joust it. Oh I've given about half an hour's riding on it before I go into an event. So... So we always um, always give our guests the best horses available and the best time to train. Uh, you know, um, so they they and they have an advantage because of that, because they're on you know horses that, you know, they, mm-hmm. they don't know the horse's issues that it's got any. So the horse has been going well for them, so they tend to be a bit more confident. Um, you know, then often the local guys who've got horses that are quite new, so we tend to ride the newer horses that are still in training. And, uh, and so it tends to even out the uh, playing field a bit
0: Okay. So, is it actually competitive jousting?
1: Yes, it is. Yeah. So, how, the how old do you basic, score it? Um, we, we scored it historically, and this is one of the big misconceptions about jousting. It's all about knocking the other guy off the horse, and that was never the intent of most styles of joust. There were different styles of jousting, like there are different styles of, of Hema and that sort of stuff in martial arts. But the, uh, the style of joust we use is called the joust of peace, and um, that's where you used um, lances that broke on the shield of the body of the opponent. And depending upon how will you break your lance, you got a point for it. And you either got one point or two points or a point for a touch and a point for a miss. They had very simple scoring systems. And if you look in some of the historical records, there's actually scoring chits and that sort of stuff and quite complicated, um, you know, scoring um, your chits from an event that showed exactly what happened and that sort of thing. So most yeah. of the jouster the joust piece and, and – so we just um, – so we've um, – Um, copy that concept, and what we use is that um, uh, there's two kinds of jousting now, the solid lance jousting, which is big in Europe, and also going through Australia We're actually doing things correctly with a solid lance with a metal tip, and that's really high-level stuff. The the step down from that is we're using a lance body with a frangible or breakable tip, and most people who do do that use a balsa tip, which breaks on contact with the opponent, and depending upon how well the balsa breaks, you get points for it. Um, we've moved on from that. We've gone to a pine tip with a, sp- a spiral cut, which weakens the tip enough to break under pressure. And depending on how well you break that pine tip, um, determines the number of points. So the way we score things is if you, if you break the lance within, say, 15 centimetres of the tip, that's one point. If you break the lance in two pieces you know, down the middle of the tip, that's um, two points. Um, if you shatter the lance into multiple fragments, that's, um, that's three points. Um, so that's our scoring system, and you get penalties for um, off-target hits. You get disqualified for hitting a horse, so that's it. You, you hit a horse, you're out of the tournament. Um, so yep. It doesn't matter where you came from, how far you've travelled, you hit the horse, you're disqualified from the event, and that's it. Um, so that does really – we never had to do that. We've done it once or twice, but that's a long time ago. Um, so we do have a proper system scoring. Um, There's penalties for infractions, like you know not presenting your shield properly or using a squire, that sort of thing, which doesn't really happen. but. A few things as to so it's a, a, a proper sport, and the rule set is fairly common around the world, so we know what we're getting. You know, so it's fairly consistent how you score the tournaments. And what you do is you basically uh, accumulate the points over a jousting match, and over a jousting round, and then you go into uh, sort of final and semi-final to determine the winner. So it's um, properly sort of regulated and it's properly sort of judged and, and, and adjudicated wow. so that. Um, so it is, and that's taken a few years to develop. But it is a sport now.
0: Okay, and I'm sure some people are wondering what the prizes are.
1: Uh, the prizes are basically just uh, you know we might give a sword away, we might give you know depending upon how much money you've hmm. got, we, we tend to, we tend to give away things that are simple to carry, you know, because uh, getting arm around the world that's another big issue, and you have yes, spare weight. So we give um, medals, we give out you know, uh, you know, just trinkets. Um, they're not really trinkets; they're basically uh, fairly expensive, because of small historical items like gold, that sort of thing. Might be a nice dagger. It might be a sword. Might be you know a, 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 something nice so they can they can put in a suitcase and in the backpack and take home. Um, so there's no cash prizes. We don't give out. Um, although um, we do pay the fares for international competitors. We do pay for their accommodation oh, wow. um, because they are they are they are traveling. They are, you know, people a lot of times are jousting. So we do cover air fares. We do um, and we do cover accommodation and bear money that sort of stuff. So they don't really have to spend much money you know, during the pre-training at the tournament and then most of them stick around New Zealand for a week or so and travel afterwards there at their cost but um, we try and make it cost neutral to attend the tournament and then they get a nice prize and, and bragging rights you
0: know yeah and, that's epic
1: yeah, wow I wish
0: I, I wish I was a better rider <laughs> yeah. there is no uh, we'll way go, on go. earth I'm, I'm just. I'm you know I, I can ride well enough to know how much I don't know and there's just yeah. no way I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. at yeah. that
1: level well, there's two things we do. There's also there's a, there's a jousting and the mounted skills. And the mounted skills is like a dressage course with weapons and mm-hmm. armor and targets. And that's actually more high, that's actually a harder skill to master than the joust. So um, you know, so that we have that that as well. We have the, the mounted skills, which is basically just an individual contest with you and your horse and these targets. And so there's no competitive aspect with another rider. And that, that's that's a skill in itself and another discipline in itself, which we also do. And we also do the mounted Malay, which is the um, you know basically similar to the you know, wooden clubs where you're taking off the crest, and, you know so, so, as well. So it's not just the jousting lance on lance, but there's also the mountain melee and also the of skills. So if you're not into having another guy coming at you with a with a sharp, with a with a, with a small stick. Or, you know, with a stick. Then you can do the of skills or the of melee. So it's not. So it's various disciplines you can get involved in.
0: Wow, uh, that sounds like s- super fun! You say you're having another guy coming at you with a stick, but I've, if I remember rightly, uh, you have a female champion recently, Sarah
1: Hay. Yeah, is that correct? Yeah, Sarah, Sarah Hay. Yeah, she's, um, she, she won our last tournament, and Sarah's wow. also done really well. So the uh, thing about jousting is, um, it's you know, it, it's an all-inclusive sport. Jousting. I mean, we don't have uh, divisions for women, and we don't have weight divisions. So you joust. It doesn't matter if you're. A man or a woman, you're in the joust together. Um, so there's no division for sexes or weight. So if you're a small person, big person, man or woman, are you all jousting in the same pool, the same competition? So it's a true. It's a true, I guess, gender neutral sport, and anybody can do it. Uh, anybody who can ride fairly well and who can, who can ride an armor and who can tailor lance properly can do jousting. So Sarah's done really well. Um, Michelle Walker, Rod Walker's wife, um, she's also done really well in previous jousts. Um, Great! I got out over in Canada. She's done really well in jousting as well. There's heaps of women. Um, Alison Mercer, the same in Canada. Uh, there's a name, but a few. Um, is, uh, and um, you know, there's they will, and, we, and, and probably half of our jousters here at women as well. So um, yeah, so it's, it's a really inclusive sport.
0: Excellent. Um, so, how do you train for it?
1: Um, you got to learn how to ride, first of all, and mm-hmm. that's the hardest thing because we get guys showing up who've done a day's trekking and think they can ride and then <laughs> – <laughs> so, um, yeah, so what I'd suggest to people is that they need to get professional riding lessons and yeah. obviously um, classical dressage or Western riding either, either will set you up for um, jousting. So you learn how to ride, um, how to, you know, walk, trot, canter and do all the basic stuff and leg yield and all that sort of thing. And once you can do that, you then start riding uh, with um, – just like squires used to do, you just start riding your weapons. You do the spinning quintain, you do uh, rings of spears, that sort of thing, and it's learning how these weapons are horseback. back. And then, once you can do that, you start putting armor on, which changes the game totally because it changes sure. your weight distribution. And you start riding bits of armor, and then eventually you can ride in armor and you can ride with weapons. And then we start putting you into joust training, which is just basically um, riding at another another, t- another rider coming at you, so you can learn about the parallax and. How that affects your aiming point and that sort of thing with two moving objects moving towards each other, um, and just gradually build up from there. So it's it's um, can take it. Um, a good rider who's you know we tend to find the the people who are horsemen or horse tend to pick up the jousting faster because they can they know how to ride, and, mm. and that's the that's the big thing, and they can pick up jousting within a year because it takes about a year or so to get their armour together if they're lucky. And uh, we've had people joust within a year who are accomplished horse people. Um, but for most people uh, especially me because I'm, I'm a very slow learner it took me many years um, most people will take two to three years uh, before I put them into a, um, a um, competitive joust but before they do that they do public shows which are just basically demonstrations which are non-competitive and they do that and once they're good at that we then put them into competition so it can take anywhere uh, between one and five years I think for somebody who's really dedicated to get into it
0: well I, many years ago um, my girlfriend at the time Uh, and her mum had a horse that was a grand prix level dressage horse and that horse taught me to ride to the point where you know i was able to do flying changes and what have you and but i could ride that horse because that horse knew absolutely everything there was to know about riding and and dressage and so long as the clumsy oaf on his back gave at least vaguely the right signal. It would cheerfully do the thing that it knew it was supposed to do, but it doesn't really, doesn't really transfer to being able to ride right. just any old horse.
1: No, no, and our horses are, they're not top-level, I mean, my horse is only all two-dressage and jumping with me, and that. So we do. We do other stuff with the horses too, but they're not sort of top-end mm-hmm. sports horses. They're just, you know, your average sort of, uh, you know, it's a yeah, mid-level horse, so you really need to um, know how to ride to ride these horses, so... Because sure. um, if you had a high dressed harsh horse, you wouldn't waste it on jousting, you'd be competing with it. Um, sure. So, so yeah, so it's a little bit harder riding um, the general horses that we use. So, you need to, um, you know, probably a little bit more skill. But, um, yeah, but it's a lot of fun and, um, and um, you know, it's, it's, um, the, the horses seem to, seem to enjoy it and we enjoy it, as we wouldn't be doing it.
0: Sure. Uh, now, I have a question about uh, Fiore's mounted combat. Do you. Yeah. Do you do sort of reconstruction of those plays as part of any any part of your training?
1: Yes, we do. That's um, a big part of my training. Uh, the fury mounted okay. plays, um, as you know, the last saw symposium I was going to run a session on that, but the yes, last saw symposium um, I had a, my, 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 a really bad hip, um, which has been replaced since I saw you last. So I'm back to normal now. Oh, um, good. But, um, so, but I yeah, the mounted plays we do that um, up here. Um, we've now got more horses, um, we couldn't do it until quite recently but now we've got more horses here that um, have a jousting background, uh, we're going to get that more into it I've done quite a bit in the past uh, the thing that Fury of plays is actually very hard to do safely um, yes. uh, the disarms with the shoulder lock uh, we, did, we don't do that any faster than the walk because when Peter Lyon and I Peter Lyon is the young, one of my jou- former jousters who is quite famous on all the rings as a sword maker we had a workshop but he, he's a big man and when we're doing a, a, a disarm uh, with a shoulder wrap at the trot, he took me out my saddle and was broke my shoulder. Uh, so oh my that's, how that's how effective the techniques are. So
0: well, yeah, that, and they're, they're supposed to, like, kill yep. the people who are annoying yep. you. Uh,
1: so yes, that's right. Yeah. So, so very Fury, difficult Fury, to do. Yeah, so Fury's, uh, all his techniques, uh, his place, plays, have done them all and with have most of them and they're, they're designed to kill either the other horse or the other rider. So you can't do them. Um, you do them with the walk, um, but you certainly wouldn't do them any faster because if you get it wrong they are designed to kill or uh, maim the other horse or other rider because the Fury's battlefield techniques um, so we, we do them um, you know we can't do them in competition obviously but we do no, them right. out of academic interest and to complete the uh, Fury system
0: Callum I just had a fantastically brilliant idea which feel free to shoot it down and I can yeah, edit this yeah. out of the episode of it yeah, you know, if yeah. it turned out to be not, not such a good idea Um would you be able to video all of those mounted plays?
1: Yep, um you can do that for you.
0: Yep. because I've done the translation and transcription for like all of the sword plays, but I haven't even looked at much most of the mounted combat plays except in the most theoretical way possible because I've had no way of, you know, putting two trained people onto horses and telling them yep. what to do and all that. Um, yep, so we, having, ha, having a, um, if you guys would do that, then I could, then, because when I, when I published the sword stuff, I included a video clip, a link to a video clip for every, um, every right. play so people can see yep. how I think the, the motion should work.
1: Okay. So, um, well, that's a, that's a great project. Um, yeah, I could probably do that now. Um, as with my team is that, um, I had a really good jousting team down here. Then all of them had ambitions to buy their own land, buy their own horses. So my my team it had, had dispersed. So sort of a team, but we're often about 200 miles apart, uh, various places. But I've got a new rider here who's starting to get pretty good. So I can probably start working with him uh, on the Fury stuff again. I haven't been able to do much in the last year or so because I've been putting the sky up. So uh, Kieran's ready to go now into you know to, into advanced techniques. So uh, we will start videoing if you replace during the year for you, try and get it You know, try and get them done. It's a good project that for us. Would be so, epic. Yeah, yeah. And of course,
0: course, if you run into yeah. any interpretation issues,
1: yeah. drop me yeah. an email oh, great. Or, yeah. or we can get yeah. on the phone
0: and I can talk to yeah. you yeah. through yeah. the that, 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 and...
1: sounds, that, that sounds fantastic, Guy. Oh, yeah, I would be into that. So we'll give we'll us something to do. Um, just, um, at the moment, you know, we've got COVID in New Zealand and we can't do any yeah, sure. in the world. We can't do any tournaments. So we're sort of uh, trying to find things to keep us motivated. And I think, you know, these first six months of this year, Oh, that could be a really good project, actually. That could be a fantastic project. Yeah. So, we oh, could have, well,
0: we could like publish the, yep. the translation and the transcription yep. and the video clips yep. and whatever so that there's like a yep. public record of
1: how, yep. Yep. how, no, we'll, how please. easy can be done. Oh, that'd be, yeah. No. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll get on to that. That sounds brilliant. Yeah. <laughs>
0: fantastic. And, and Callum, yep. the next time I'm in New Zealand, yep. I think I might just be accidentally popping by your place
1: for a little visit. Great. Oh, you're welcome any time. <laughs> welcome any time.
0: Because, <laughs> yep. because I yes, my my riding is is basically I have the same yep. way. When it, I can't ride at home because my eldest daughter is severely allergic to anything yep. with hair, yep. so yep. so I just can't be traipsing horse hair through the yep. house because it could be that,
1: that's, a real problem. That's fair enough. To now we got the, got the horses so here now. I, yep. Yeah.
0: So when I travel, yep. if I ever get the chance to get on a horse, I yep. I. Jake, I don't jump on it. Obviously,
1: I carefully no. climb aboard. <laughs> yes, right. I've got the horses now. We'll do that for you. So, because we're oh, and, I said, Yeah. So yeah, as I said, we're, we're basically back in action. So we've got two. Well, there's one horse that I can put a beginner on, and I've um, got another horse that's she's arriving. Later this week, actually, and hopefully she'll be good too. So yeah. So you're more than welcome to come by, stay with us next time you're here.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Kyle. Right. Yes. We we shall we shall. Bring Fiore to the masses is what we will do. Excellent. Yes. Um, yep. I don't know why I didn't think of this before.
1: Yeah, well, I've always known you were a
0: Jouster and into Fiore.
1: Yeah, yeah. We've done a lot of stuff. Um, and uh, and uh, up until about a year or so back, we're actually uh, I've got another rider of mine, uh, Simon Nielsen, who I trained, um, and he's up and he's up north now. But he and I were doing a lot of the Fiore uh, Fiore land bags, and. Um, also, I don't know if you know about Chiral Castle in Australia with Phil Leach and, um, and Cliff Marisma. They're doing some really nice stuff too with mounted hema. Um, they're much better. They're more advanced than I am in this field because they do it professionally for a job and they're doing shows every oh, well. day. But there's a bit of that happening now in this part of the world. But I'm really happy to, um, yeah, like I said uh, I, I do want to do more with the mounted hema or uh, mounted Fiori. So um, yeah, I'm quite keen to get into that a bit more into the um, into the, um, the technique.
0: Fantastic. Okay. Now, you know, I've, I've been to New Zealand a couple of times now, and I've I sort of realised that you're some kind of a linchpin for historical martial arts in New Zealand. So you, you set up the tournaments, you, yep. um, you have an equipment shop called the Red Knight. Is that yes. correct? Yes. And, okay, so you're, you've sort of, you've seen the New Zealand historical martial arts scene sort of grow from absolutely nothing into what is actually a pretty thriving... Sort of historical martial arts community. So, could you just sort of describe it first? Because know, most people dream of visiting New Zealand, and yeah, because it's 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 Middle Earth and all that sort of thing. Um, But some kind of idea of what what the scene is like there.
1: Um, It's hard to say. It's um, it's not. um, If you look at it as part of reenactment, which I do, water reenactment, it's not as big as, um, obviously, the, 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 the medieval Falama combat, which is big in Europe now, that they are probably in New Zealand. That sort of, um, uh, it's wrong it's wrong medieval battle. Um, that, that's, that's a dominant uh, thing. That's more of a sport. And that, that's and, that's bigger, is it? Yes, it is. It's huge. Exactly. Uh, I've, I've and, got
0: Dana, Dana will, I interviewed yeah. Dana... I'm blanking on her
1: surname, but she yeah, is. Dana, Dana, Dana's the- down the road. Yeah, Dana's down the road from me. She, she lives in the same city. So Dana right. Wyman, she, so She's, she's in mind. Yeah, and um, so she's she's. Um, so at the moment, um, that's the dominant uh, we have the thing. Um, SCA is bigger in New Zealand, uh, especially in the South Island, and um, there's also a standard reenactment, and there's Hema, and probably of the um, probably the historical uh, martial arts is probably the smallest of all the four. In um, saying that, though, um, there's uh, a bit up in Auckland, um, there's two clubs, in my area is my club in Upper Hutt, and uh, Colin Industries Club in Lower Hutt, and we're basically the same club. And there's a club, two clubs in the South Island, and a few people around the country. So it's 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 it's, it's not a it's hugely popular, but it's strong enough. And you've also got Selwyn, as you know, who organised yeah. of symposiums till recently. Um, so you yeah, look, there's enough to Enough activity to run, obviously, the saw symposia, and that's gone three or four times. So, I don't know. It's probably maybe one hundred people doing, Emma in New Zealand, probably as a rough guess, who are you know studying uh, various things. Um, that's, that includes you know the later period, the um, the rapiers, and you know all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, in terms of what we do with the medieval, it's probably only you know, um, you know it's hard to say the numbers, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's strong enough to obviously support viable clubs and host events. So that's, it started, you know, sort of started back in the um, the late 90s with, you know, me coming back and um, with what Stephen was showing me, then Stephen's first book on, you know, Sword and with him and Paul Wagner, and then... I have that uh, book, yeah. Yes, um, probably the, the biggest thing that, that's grown here is Colin McKinsbury. So Colin, um, he, he, um, he, he to me is, he's my Hebrew instructor, along with another guy called Michael Har who also a student of Colin's. Colin's probably the, the main HEMA guy here. He's got the, the academic knowledge and the ability to put that into practical reality. So Collins, mm-hmm. um, he's, he's, my, he's my he's my teacher and, and HEMA. So he, he and he's done most of the interpretation, uh, especially around Fiori and some of the Sword and butter and other bits and pieces. So so he and I run probably we probably between us got about thirty students that do some form of Struggle Sword fighting. Uh, we will probably be the biggest in the country. Um, you know, two clubs merged. Um, this grew up in Auckland, uh, Sports Hema. Um, yeah, so so yeah, there's a, there's a fair few clubs around, but it's not the dominant. It's not, it's not as dominant to say you know um, what Dana's doing with the um, you know heavy med- medieval combat.
0: Yeah, I interviewed Dana recently. And she'll be her episode of the show will be coming out before this one. Uh, but I didn't yeah. realize when I when I talked to her. I wasn't yeah. aware that it was actually bigger than historical martial arts. I'm not sure that that's that's true anywhere else. I, I guess maybe in America the SCA is bigger than historical martial yeah. arts. Yeah I, think,
1: uh, well, Zealand, yeah, yeah, I think in New Zealand everything. It, yeah, I think in New Zealand it's probably more popular because it's a chance. It's it's just a, it, it appeals to you know, keep it quite quite sort of um, physical people. So I think that, that style of fighting appeals to a lot of people. Um, but certainly, it's the one that's getting the numbers into clubs at the moment. And saying that they, they do have a fair turnover numbers as well. Um, but probably you know, looking, looking at, um, you know, um, people in the clubs, that's I deal with clubs in New Zealand in different styles, they'll be the biggest at the moment, I'd say.
0: And I imagine as, as a equipment supplier, you have a pretty good handle on, like, what is actually being practised.
1: I don't actually sell, because the armour I sell is, is not up to their standard. Um, yeah oh, they, okay. they do, uh, yeah. so I, I tend to st- um, sell um, stuff to I'll uh, um hema and also um, just our you know our standard average unit who's doing medium contact fighting but uh, my, my gear doesn't meet their you know, they've they got quite rigid uh, specification requirements as an international support well they'd need it wouldn't they yeah they do they buy some of my gear like some of my living history stuff they buy and uh, but they don't buy my armour or my weapons because they're not really rated for the assault of combat The good and everything else, yeah.
0: Excellent. Um, okay, now I have a couple of questions that I um ask all my guests, or most of my guests at least. Um, the first is, What is the best idea you've never acted on?
1: Um, I can't think of any actually. You sent me that question, I thought about (laughs) it, and um, I tend to um. You know, He's like, let's do, do jousting. You know, okay, yeah, we'll do yeah, jousting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so I, I just, if I have a good idea, and I think it's worth pursuing, I'll pursue it till I complete it. And, um, so I've, and I've, never, I've never not finished anything I've started. I can't think of anything. But I guess the only idea that I haven't done, and is you know, what I want to do, is to build a castle. And that's my biggest idea I haven't done yet, and I'm really keen to build a some kind of fort on our property Uh, that's probably the only my only regret is I haven't um, been able to do that because uh, because I bought a martial arts school of my own so I bought the premises I think other things as well so I think other things that consume my money um, you know to build the sport I haven't got the spare money to build the castle at some point in time I do want to build a Norman style keep on our place and that's probably the only thing I haven't thought about that I haven't acted on
0: Dude that's a that's a really good idea
1: yes a Norman style keep on your yeah, own, and that's like, yeah. That's so like you practice not, siege, yeah. Practice siege, and I thought I could uh, hide out to Dungeons and Dragons and to larpers and that sort of thing, and you know, yeah, all of that. So that's my my uh, my, my uh, yeah, that's my next project. Um, uh, <laughs> and, okay. I, and I said, um, so if I'm in the position where I've got spare cash flow again, then I'll um, look at doing that because um, I can build up the metres here and to barn. So um, so it would not be too hard to um, you know, get planning permission and I've got a bit of land, I've got, I've got a land, if I'm going to put it, but that's the only thing I haven't done is to build this. The idea was to build a stone castle back when I was a teenager, younger man, but, um, but that's not practical in New Zealand. It's an uh, earthquake zone and it'd be so expensive, but putting together a Norman-style keep with an outside, you know, you know, palisade, that's, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's doable and probably something I'll, you know, eventually do um, if I'm I'm too Crepit. That would be
0: fantastic. And maybe we could do the Place Symposium there.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. You could do that there. Ah, oh, fantastic.
0: Science. Yeah. Okay, well, that's a really good... I, I had a feeling you probably had some
1: projects that hadn't quite come to fruition yet. So yeah, that's, the only, that's the only big one. And that Norman Keep. From, yeah, Norman Keep. Yeah, that'd okay. be, be pretty awesome. That would be extremely
0: awesome. Um, okay, and my, my last question is, somebody yeah. gives you a million dollars or... Ten million dollars or whatever. I know New Zealand dollars aren't worth as much as they might be. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. To improve historical martial arts worldwide, how would
1: you spend the money? I'd actually uh, put together some really good events. So you events. spend it on, uh, on events. Okay. Yeah, I'll probably buy I'll get buy. If it was million dollars, you know, does doesn't doesn't go very far in New Zealand these days. But um, it'd be good to build infrastructure that would support a um come come a sort of a hub for um we in New Zealand, and also for international events. And uh, and um, something, some, you know, so that, that's what I try and do is just use it to build a hub. We can basically bring people in, train them, run public events to fund it. So, so that'll be, that you know, so I had, you know, $5 million where it was. That's what I'll do with that. Wow. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. just, you know, run you know, bring guys like yourself in, for, um, you know, to run sessions and run jazzing tournaments and just create a, an academic and practical centre for, um, you know, for all forms of European martial arts. That would be fantastic.
0: Okay. Well, that's, you know, if I had the money, I'd give it to you because I love yep. going to New Zealand.
1: Yeah. I said you're always welcome to, you know, back here.
0: Thanks. Um, okay. Uh, is there anything you would particularly like to ask of the um, listeners, anything you would, any way you would like to send them on the internet or Anything you think that they would,
1: they should, they would benefit from doing? Um, I just request. think, uh, just yeah, you know, if you believe what you're doing, just keep doing it. Um, and with your HEMA, uh, practice every day, really important. Um, yeah, and just just keep doing what you're doing and keep enjoying it. Okay, well,
0: thank you very much indeed, Cam. That's been a delight.
1: That's great. To you. Thank you. That's, that's brilliant. Thanks, Guy. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Callum. You can find the episode show notes at guywindsor.net forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can sign up to my mailing list and I'll send you a free copy of my book, Sword Fighting for Writers, Game Designers and Martial Artists. I'd also like to thank my patrons on Patreon for their kind support of the show. It lets me know that you care about the show and wanted to continue. You can join us there for behind the scenes content and to submit your questions for future guests. Patreon.com forward slash the sword guy. Join us next week when I'll be talking to Joanna Penn, who is a writer and podcaster who you may not be familiar with because she's not very much in the sword world. But she's a writer of thrillers and she does all sorts of interesting things like, well, for example, inspire me to create online courses and a podcast. So you definitely don't want to miss that. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts from. And while you're there, please do rate the show. And if you have an extra minute, leave a review. It really does help get the word out. I'll see you next week.